Pat Vitucci program guests and Craig Roberts are not affiliated with Proxy Freedom LLC or United Planners Financial Services unless otherwise noted on the show. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom is not liable for any third-party content. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Advisory services offered through Proxy Freedom LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, Pat Fatucci, with over 30 years experience in the world of finance and investment planning, with special emphasis on retirement planning. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. Welcome once again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, author, and industry veteran, Pat Vitucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. My very special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. He recently wrote a book entitled Lessons on Leadership, the Seven Fundamental Management Skills for Leaders at All Levels. In his book, he simplifies the complexity of building a world-class organization. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Jack, you've had, obviously, a lot of exciting roles in your career. Talk to us about Coca-Cola and Revlon, two top-named companies with lots of demands on your life. How have those career positions kind of shaped you? Well, I had the good fortune to be at Coca-Cola at a time when the company was really changing and beginning to really accelerate its growth under new leadership and had the opportunity to play a role in moving the market value of that company from about $3 billion to over $100 billion over the course of 20 years. And I learned a tremendous amount. I made my own share of mistakes, but I learned some core skills that helped me move from finance to general management to ultimately being president of the company. In my book, Lessons on Leadership, I focus on some very basic concrete skills and action steps that one can use in various aspects of their career, running from leadership all the way through influencing people. Then I went to Revlon, and Revlon was a much smaller brand, a company loaded with debt. So I had a chance to operate in a much more entrepreneurial environment while running Revlon, which I did for about five years. But again, those basic core skills that I learned early in my career from great people were really important to success and helping to move the ball forward at Revlon. So I've been fortunate to be around some great people for a long time. Yeah, there's so many books, Jack, as you well know, written about leadership, but what really counts is how you execute on that raw talent. Seems to be a real shortage of strong leaders who can execute and get the job done consistently year after year. There's only a handful of people in America that have that combination of raw talent, intellect, and people skills to make it all happen. Part of that is just a fair number of managers and ultimately leaders believe that when you get into a more senior management role, that you should spend 100% of your time thinking about the big picture or thinking about the view from 60,000 feet. And my view, based on my own training, was leaders and managers need to be situational. 
you know, in the morning, it might be the view at 60,000 feet. You know, it might be focusing on the strategy or the plan for your organization, large or small. But at a different point in the day, you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and focus on the details of your business, particularly where you see evidence that other people are not maintaining that same focus. So I think it's a balance and it puts a premium on a leader being situational in his or her approach to running a business or an organization. And it's that constant shifting and pivoting from 60,000 feet to six feet. Exactly. I grew up as a young financial analyst being willing to get people coffee and do what was necessary to get a meeting room prepared for a meeting. You know, gaining a degree of flexibility and personal flexibility teaches you that later in your career, you're going to be more willing to roll up your sleeves and get into the details of a key project that can make you or break you. And I think it's so important. I suspect a lot of managers just want to overmanage. You know, you know, we've got the classic example of Warren Buffett who says, here's a company, go out and manage it, talk to me once in a while. And then there's the other overbearing kind of manager that just wants to uh, second guess and dot every I and cross every T. And, and certainly a lot of room between those two theories of and philosophies of management. Well, I think that's right. And I think Part of it is, as a manager at all levels, it's being focused on what your management routines are. When I walk through these in the book, I give some examples from Coca-Cola and Revlon, where putting in place weekly meetings to focus on key projects and how you run those meetings to make sure that you're focused on what has to happen in the immediate term and over the longer term in a key project, making sure you get from people what their key action steps are supposed to be, listen to where those action steps are breaking down for whatever reason, and agree on follow-up actions. And it takes just that kind of discipline every week or every month around those things that are important to your organization's health. And I outlined some examples of those kinds of routines in the book, but they do allow a leader to have a relatively efficient lens into the details of the business. You know, Jack, you've been at that stratosphere where guys like Warren Buffett and uh, the other name I think about is Jack Welch, which he had that Six Sigma whole system where it's all about expectation setting, isn't it? And I, I suspect you had your own system of setting expectations. And when your managers made them, you would reward them. And obviously, if they didn't, you had to take some action. It, it, there's really both sides of that coin. And you have to be willing to make decisions on promoting or terminating uh, relationships based on meeting those expectations. I think- I think that's right. I think there's also a middle step there, and that is if someone is not meeting expectations, trying to get underneath and find out, is it a skill gap? Is it some weakness in that person's toolkit or skill set that's keeping them from performing at the level you'd hope? And then if it is a skill gap, how do you get that person some coaching or some training or some feedback? So hopefully they can close that gap and strengthen their performance with the company. One of the things I've done in the book is provide a model for providing feedback and getting underneath what skills are important to people's success so that before you have to take an action to let somebody go, you can determine, can you help grow a skill that what might really help that person be effective and successful? My special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. We're talking about his recent book, Lessons on Leadership. Jack, at Coca-Cola and Revlon, obviously you were involved in the two best-known brands. As the world becomes more cluttered with marketing messages, how has the fundamentals of brand positioning changed? There's so many messages out there. How do you not get your message lost and have it stand out in a real articulate way in, in which the public should accept that? Well, I think that starts with 
having taken the time as a leader or a manager to really define clearly what it is you want your brand to represent. And at Coca-Cola, we talked about brand Coke. It was all about being genuine and authentic and great taste and refreshment and making moments with friends a bit more special. That's what brand Coke is. We took the time, though, to be very clear and very specific about what the brand positioning was, what it delivered to consumers. And then as a leader, making sure that every marketing action, every business action, really reinforces that brand positioning. One of the best examples at Coke was to reinforce the idea of the product being genuine and authentic. We developed many years ago, the advertising people did, the It's the Real Thing campaign. And I'm sure many people would remember that advertising campaign. And it reinforced that Coke was the authentic soft drink and the authentic cola brand. It starts with good thinking and then making sure that every marketing action aligns with driving your brand. And not only in this country, but worldwide. I mean, Coca-Cola is probably one of the most recognized brands throughout the world. How do you extend that in brand new countries where you hadn't sold Coke before? It does start with remembering the core elements of what the brand is that you're working to expand geographically. And typically, a global brand will have one positioning. And for Coke, it was that genuine nature, the great taste and refreshment. And then when you get into a different culture or a different environment, the way you bring that message to life through your advertising and promotional materials may look somewhat different and feel somewhat different. But in that culture, whether it be Brazil or Germany or Japan, you're still reinforcing the core elements of the brand. My special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. We're talking about his recent book, Lessons on Leadership. We're talking about branding in the last section, Jack. And Coca-Cola has been very successful in forging relationships with sports teams, movies. Talk to our listeners about that vertical and horizontal kind of marketing. Well, I think... A key to a brand is thinking about every marketing tool that's available to you and then prioritizing. So many forms of media today have dispersed and consumers are being cluttered and they're being bombarded with marketing material today. And the the reality is leaders need to select those that are most going to drive your brand. We went through a process like that at Coke, where for years, Coca-Cola relied on signage in stadiums, for example, in baseball stadiums and football stadiums. A Coca-Cola sign might have been attractive, but it might have been very passive to the fan in the stands who saw the same thing from Budweiser or other consumer products. And I think one of the things that we learned to try to do is create marketing programs that really engage with the consumer in an active way. So at Baseball Stadium in Atlanta, we built a themed attraction, Braves Baseball and Coca-Cola, where kids could go in and sit in a Coca-Cola-themed chair. They could pour themselves an ice-cold Coke. They could run the bases, courtesy of Coca-Cola. And it was something that was very engaging and reinforced the brand, and it wasn't passive. So looking at all the forms of marketing tools and finding those that are most engaging that really separate you out from your competitor is so important because you've got to make your marketing dollars work twice. There's just too many calls for resources today. Yeah, even in our local stadium, we've got a big Coca-Cola bottle sitting out there in left field. Well, that's exactly right. And 30 years ago, that would have been a very passive sign. Now you've got a bottle that you can recall. 30 years ago, if you'd been in the stadium, there might have been a sign, and you might not even remember who was the soft drink sponsor. In your book, you talk about strengthening your relationship with your customer and really staying focused on who your customer is. And that's where I think a lot of companies perhaps get themselves into trouble. I think that's often true. And I point out in the book something on the order of 
60 to 70 percent of the people that change suppliers do it primarily because of simply the person that's calling on them is not someone that's paying attention to the needs of their business. So that starts, I believe, with very good listening skills, taking the time to sit with your customer and ask some basic questions. What are your needs? What is your strategy? Where do you want to take your business? What are you struggling with inside of your company or organization? And what are your challenges? And if you hear those things coming back from a customer, maybe a customer will say, gee, I need some help in my marketing in this example. And then you as a supplier might be in a position to help with them with some resources that go beyond the normal product and service. They can cement your relationships. But I think it starts with taking the time to ask questions of your customers or about their own business challenges and strategies and plans, and then matching up what you have inside your company to those needs. And I think if you really do limit risk and, and create opportunity through that kind of listening approach. Even if we're not in a sales position, most core people are selling their ideas to their boss, to their peers, to their subordinates. As you mentioned in your book, it's all about effectively influencing people is really the linchpin for leadership success and you're listening, as you mentioned, people want to be heard. And if they're heard, then they'll be motivated to do things for you. That is the basic message. I think you're right. They want to be heard. They want to be valued. In your many years, what's the most important lesson you you learn as a leader of Coca-Cola? You can talk to our young executives out there that would love to emulate somebody like you and where you grew to, to, to the top leadership post. Well, I think someone who's thinking about growing their career and strengthening their own career options, for me, it was always about understanding what the core skills were that were important for success and putting yourself around people who can help you learn those core skills. And I always thought about that in terms of seeing opportunities is a core skill, the ability to see an opportunity to reduce cost or grow your market position, the ability to plan and develop a strategy, the ability to execute get things done, the ability to work as part of a team and communicate effectively, and then ultimately the ability to develop other people to do those things better than you can. I think those five or six key areas are core to the growth of people's careers, and it helps them create career flexibility and options for themselves. So I guess my best advice would be, particularly early in your career, try to find yourself in places where you can learn from people who can teach you those core skills. And I do lay them out in the book and provide some real examples of how I think they can be important to your success. Jack, thinking back 20, 30 years ago, the dynamics of managing people included different personality types, and then women came on the scene in a much bigger way. So it was a male-dominated corporate world, and men had to adapt and learn to work more effectively with women. Managers today have another whole collection of cultures, and it's almost a catch-up education that we'll have to understand how to motivate different kinds of cultures, which really bleeds out into their corporate world. Are young execs more challenged today, or is it just a different set of challenges compared to what execs had maybe 20, 30 years ago? The challenges probably are different. I think the makeup of the workforce is changing dramatically, and I think that's a great thing. I think it's something to be capitalized on and I watch my own son and I watch him operate inside of his company with people that have had different experiences and challenges and everything else. And they turn that into an advantage. But I think it starts with recognizing their strength in that and that there's strength in that diversity of experience and thought and then creating an environment inside your organization where you seek out those points of view that can be so valuable and take the time to listen, take the time to be visible to your people and so that you are hearing their thoughts and feedback and they have an opportunity to hear from you. At Revlon, I set a goal of 
having 100 one-on-one conversations per week across the organization. And those conversations can be in the elevator, they can be in the cafeteria, but just taking the time to listen to the challenges of your people, share a story or an experience with them. And I think with that, you have a much greater chance to capitalize on a diverse workforce that does bring so many different skills and experiences. It just takes time and energy and commitment to do it and a willingness to listen. With that listening comes attitude. In Chapter 6 of your book, you talk about encouraging financial people to have an attitude of service versus one of control. That's a fundamental mind shift in terms of how you interact with your ultimate client, isn't it? I think so. And, you know, I think by having an attitude of service as a financial person, for example, I think this is true for many staff functions. If you're in there providing service to your clients across your organization, maybe it's in the form of analysis or helping them think through a problem, you're in the dialogue, you're in the game, you've got a seat at the table. Then you can play and have the ability to place the control functions in place that are so necessary in most businesses, in any business. But most important, you've got to have a seat at the table and be in the dialogue with your internal clients to be in a position to shape the course of their actions. But that happens through good service at the beginning. And that service allows you to play the control role ultimately that does need to be played as well. Jack Stahl, the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon, his recent book, Lessons on Leadership, The Seven Fundamental Management Skills. Jack, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Pat Petucci says, don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Don't invest and forget. All of us understand, I think, at some point as we're working through our career and eventually looking down the horizon toward retirement, that we need to be actively engaged. That means not just contributing on a routine basis to an IRA or a 401k, but also, as Pat always reminds us, not to invest and forget, meaning you need to actively manage those monies. But along the way, as we exercise that discipline, there are other types of mistakes that we can potentially make that could be extremely detrimental to not just our success at retirement planning, but eventually detrimental to our retirement. We take a few moments now to take a look at the 10 worst retirement planning mistakes to avoid as our host, Pat Fitucci, kind of unpack these 10 things to avoid. And Pat, it's not an exhaustive list per se, but it's a list that has more commonality with the way most Americans behave when it comes to their relationship with money than many perhaps might have surmised. Yeah, Craig, you're right. You know, we put more time and energy into planning our next vacation than planning our retirement. Okay, vacation's a couple weeks. Retirement could be a couple decades. And one of the things that really specialize in when folks come in for that no obligation consultation, literally create a roadmap to retirement. Writing down a plan is essential. And you would think, okay, it makes a lot of sense. But how many times have you taken the time for you and if you're married, your spouse to say, okay, What is my lifestyle going to look like? How is my health going to interact with that? And look at the debits and credits, look at the assets and liabilities and literally create a plan. And it sounds fundamental and it sounds basic, but unless you write it down, the old adage is you don't see that goal. You don't see that plan in place. You're just kind of haphazardly going down the road and hoping and praying you've done all the right things and... You're going to have enough money. Do you have enough? How much is enough? And the answer is very different for all of us. 
what is our monthly nut? What is our what are our plans? What are our aspirations? What are our legacy plans? Do we want to leave money to kids? Or do we want to let that last check bounce? So all those things, having a plan in place is really critical. So where are the wise choices? Let's talk about where do you invest? And it really comes down to your risk appetite. You ultra conservative, you nervous as heck about watching Wall Street and all its ups and downs, or are you really aggressive? You want to invest in uh, a SPAC, a special purpose type of investment. It really comes down to your intestinal fortitude of putting up with that level of risk. And there are a whole host of different sectors from stock markets and bond markets and utility markets, real estate markets, overseas markets, emerging markets. You have a certain sector you're really comfortable with. You are a plumber and you really like the building industry. Okay, then that's your comfort level. You're a real estate broker. You're going to probably tilt your investment wisdom towards real estate. So it's really what you're comfortable with, but getting outside of the comfort zone, we think is real important to diversify into different markets so that you have this ebb and flow of some sustainable kind of income throughout your lifetime. All right, let's talk about the bad news, taxing. We're going to get taxed on some gains. We're going to get taxed on income. We're going to get taxed at the estate level. What have you done to look at the tax implications of what you're doing? There's tax-free, tax-deferred, and taxable. What combination of those three things works best for you? And the answer is, it depends on your marginal tax bracket. So your marginal tax bracket will dictate what proportion of your money should be in taxable, tax-free, tax-deferred. You're going to pay Uncle Sam because we live in a great country. You're going to pay for services. And how much of your hard-earned money are you going to have to fork over to Uncle Sam? Therein lies that deft touch of creating a tax-optimal plan for you and your family so that you give your fair share, but you use every legitimate tax rule in the country to your favor and failure to do that shame on you for giving up too much to uncle Sam. So again, tax prudence is real important. Please let me emphasize that tax professionals are not a part of staff, but we refer to professionals versed in those disciplines. How about health issues? We've talked about all the good stuff and life is going to be great when I retire. The reality of it is some of us will have health issues. How does that affect your portfolio? Certainly if you're over 65, 65 or over, you're going to enjoy Medicare. Medicare is a great system, pretty much takes care of most of your health costs. There's a confusion that some people actually think if I get subject to a nursing home or if I need in-home care, a nurse or somebody to help me bathe or dress, that Medicare is going to cover that. Not true. Long-term care plans, you just mention the word and people run the other way. Oh my gosh, if I buy it, I'm going to probably need it. Obviously, that's not true. But the cost of an average nursing home in California today is over $9,000 a month. And if you or your spouse or God forbid both of you needed long-term care confinement, think of how quickly that can erode even a healthy portfolio. So we always talk about, let's get a quote 
for that nursing home care, which includes nursing home confinement, medical care in the home by a registered nurse or LVN, licensed vocational nurse, or even just help with bathing and dressing. The bathing and dressing people who come in and help you with some of the basic things in life, they're $25, $35 per hour. So really we need to give some real cautionary advice to look at the health care and potential long-term care exposure. We know the Social Security system is has been kind of the backbone of a lot of our retirement plans. And so the big question is, do you take it at 62? Do you wait till full retirement age, 65, 66, and X months, all depending on your age? Or should you wait from 65, 66 to 70? Every year you wait from that year forward, your income goes up guaranteed 8% a year. It's 8% return. That's pretty cool to enjoy that benefit and get a guaranteed upgrade of 8% a year. So if you can afford it, if you love what you do, your health is good, certainly you want to wait until age 70. Any questions, Triple Eight Plan Wise? That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E or website don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Pat Petucci program guests and Craig Roberts are not affiliated with Proxy Freedom LLC or United Planners Financial Services unless otherwise noted on the show. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom is not liable for any third-party content. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Advisory services offered through Proxy Freedom LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.